There's not one of us, I'm sure, who doesn't want to know and feel the nearness and the power and the reality of God. No matter how many years we've been on the Christian path, we still hunger for a, for a deeper reality in our relationship with God. That hymn by William Cooper that we've been singing has been sung for over 200 years, expressing that longing that people have, oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that, that leads me to the Lamb. And how close, how, how, do we, how do we enter into that closer walk with God? How do we get there? What does it involve? Those are some of the questions we might like to ask ourselves. But I'd like to start with looking with you just at a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 that, that puts everything into perspective. If you like to uh, look at your Bible again, we're, we're going to read three verses from Ephesians chapter 3. This is page 1175. We're going to read verses 14 to 19. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that they might have that closer relationship with God. And this is what he prays for them, and we begin reading at verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you may, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul prays for three things here. He prays that, in verse 16, that they... They, that they may have the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, in their inner beings. Then verse 17, he prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And then he finishes in verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with the very nature of God, as some translations put it. The first thing we need to know when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit in our lives, it, is that there's only one God. And he manifests himself in three ways, as Creator and Father, as Son and Savior, as the Holy Spirit. Today's Trinity Sunday, the day when we remember God, the three in one, and one in three. God is there through his Spirit in our lives. But that Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Jesus. If we ask Jesus into our lives, he's there through his Spirit. That's how he lives in us today. We can't have Jesus and not have the Spirit. 
God is one. The second thing I want to say to you as we we think about this topic about God's Spirit living in our lives and influencing our lives is that in the Bible we read that at certain times God pours out His Spirit in very dramatic ways. The birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. The first Samaritan converts, Acts chapter 8. The first Gentile converts, Cornelius and his friends, Acts chapter 10. The great tension and crisis in the church at Ephesus before the gospel breaks through, Acts chapter 19. God pours out his spirit in dramatic forms at significant and crucial moments in the history of the church. And it's the same through the centuries in our own history in Ulster here. We know that our forefathers came from Scotland in the early 1600s and settled in this land. It was a time of uh, great difficulty for them. There was hostility from the native Irish. They were very insecure. There were very few ministers or leaders came from Scotland. There was... uh, In that insecurity, a a, a paganism growing up, people were forgetting the gospel that they'd heard. And then, of course, we had the famous Six Mile Water Revival there in County Antrim, 1625, whenever God's Spirit was poured out at a time of great need. Real Christianity, real faith began to be established in the, in the hearts of our Scottish ancestors who were involved in the plantation of Ulster. Many of us, in fact all of us, will have heard of the uh, 1859 revival, I'm sure. It was preceded, of course, by the, the great famine in Ireland that half the population from 8 million to 4 million, people leaving, people dying, And in those years that followed great insecurity and indeed uh, lawlessness and immorality, the country in a complete mess, and and God's Spirit comes then in a a very dramatic way in the 1859 revival to, to, to bring people back to Him again. And of course we have, in more recent times, in the 20th century, that revival that happened in our own city under W.P. Nicholson in the 1920s. Again, a time whenever there was a great need. Hundreds of thousands of young men had lost their lives in the battlefields of Europe in the First World War. Those who came back hoping to find a place fit for heroes to live in were largely disillusioned. No housing, no jobs, little money. Our province was in a very perilous state. And on top of that, of course, we had all the political upheaval of the division of Ireland. And into this insecurity and into this uh, population that some of them had lost their faith because of the trauma of of the First World War. Into this situation, 
the gospel is preached and, and, and God's Spirit comes in a very dramatic fashion. The church is revived and people are restored to faith. And so you find, just as in the Acts of the Apostles, so you find in the, in the history of the church, God pouring out his Spirit in abundance, in dramatic fashion at at critical times, to overcome great obstacles, to, to renew faltering faith, to, to counter moral decline. We all want, I'm sure, that same strength and certainty and intensity of faith that came at such times. That's why we have favorite hymns like the one we have sung or O breath of life come sweeping through us revive thy church with life and power. O breath of life come cleanse renew us and fit the church to meet this hour. We've got this longing within ourselves. But there is no guarantee how God is going to respond to our prayer. We pray, but we can't control God. Rather, he seeks to control us. In John 3, Jesus compares the Spirit to the wind. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it comes from, where it's going. In God's sovereign plan, it's the same. We can't put the Spirit of God in a bottle or in a straitjacket. We can't manipulate God and make him do what we want. We pray. We pray for God's spirit in our church, in our individual lives, but we can't command it. It's God's gift. But we ought to pray for it. Here's what we read in, in Luke chapter 11, and you'll know this passage well. You may like to look it up. It's page 1043. We're going to read three or four verses there. Luke 11 at verse 9. Jesus has just told the uh, parable about the friend coming at midnight and encouraging people to keep on praying. And then at verse 9 he says to them, So I ask, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. We are invited to ask. Many of us ask 
and yet we feel perhaps that that prayer is not answered. Why? One illustration I think is, is, is worthwhile showing you. I've got a bottle of water here and a packet of apple juice. Now, if I were to pour this apple juice into the bottle of water, it wouldn't fit, it wouldn't go, because there's something else there. There's something in the way. And when we ask God to send his spirit and fullness into our lives, sometimes it's because there's something else in the way that can't get in. Our hearts, perhaps, are filled with selfishness or pride or envy or greed or resentment or even just triviality. There's no room. God wants to empower us through his Spirit. He, he wants, as, as Paul says in the Ephesians there, God wants to make his home in our hearts. In fact, his objective is that we may be completely filled with the very nature of God, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.19. But sometimes there's something else there. That's why the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 said, let's, let's rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. If we want to know the reality of God in a fuller way, sometimes we need to examine ourselves and ask for God's help and seek deliverance from those things that are already filling up the space. Many of us, of course, have sincerely sought to, to do that, to get rid of such things. And still we feel that God hasn't answered us. The reality and the power of God that we expect doesn't seem to be there. We wonder, has God heard our prayers? Has God not kept his promise? Have we not received his spirit? Is God's spirit not at work in our lives? And that, I think, leads us on to the question of how do we know if God's spirit is there? Sometimes we look for evidence that God in his sovereign will is not prepared to give. But there's a clear way that we can know. How do we know if, if God is living in our hearts? How do we know if God's spirit is there? The Bible is quite clear. What we should be looking for is the fruits of the spirit. If the fruits are growing, the cause of their growth must be there. And we know what those fruits are. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 lists them for us quite clearly. You know the passage well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
the more of these that are found in the heart of the Christian, the more the fullness of God's Spirit is there in our lives. We often want some sort of religious experience as proof of God's Spirit within us. But the proof that the Spirit is there is not just emotionalism. It's the appearance of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God wants to make us, through His Spirit controlling our lives, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more faithful, more humble, more self-controlled people. And then, of course, he mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that in addition to that, he wants to give us gifts. Gifts not for our pleasure, but for his service. As it says in Ephesians, each one receives a special gift for the work of Christian service in order to build up the, perp- the body of Christ. You see, the purpose of God coming into our lives through his Spirit and giving us uh, that sense of his presence with us is so that we may serve him. God's Spirit isn't given for pleasure or selfish purpose, but so that we can cope with the, the circumstances of life and overcome the difficulties that face us there. The Spirit's given to help us in the battles of life and in the service of others, not for personal satisfaction. And one final point as we think at this Pentecost season of God's Spirit. Although we may experience the reality of God in a very specific way at some definite point in our lives, maybe in a service, maybe when someone has been talking to us, praying with us, maybe when we've been at home alone, it may be that God has made a very dramatic uh, appearance, as it were, within our lives. But the Bible makes clear that that Spirit of God can be edged out of our lives again. The coming of the Spirit isn't just a once-only experience. It's a constant offer from a generous, forgiving, renewing God. We need to come to the fountain of life again and again and again. In Ephesians, when we read about being filled, it means actually go on being filled. As somebody said, we're rather like sieves. And I suppose it's in that sense that we're here tonight. That's where most of us are. Oh, for a closer walk with God is something that we still yearn for. And if we are to be filled in fuller measure with God's Spirit, other things have to be thrown out. The spirit of hatred, the spirit of envy, greed, whatever it happens to be. God promises to give us his Spirit. But we have to do our part. And that promise of God's Spirit, as we said, is is not just a, a selfish, emotional, satisfying thing. It's so that God may use us in his service. And so as we come to the end of our reflection tonight, we're going to finish with a hymn that's a prayer that God's Spirit will indeed enter our lives and renew our lives. We'll remain seated and we're going to sing as our prayer to God at this Pentecost season. Breathe on me, breath of life. 
Fill me with life anew, that I may love as you have loved and do as you would do. Hymn 457.